0: Well, this, uh, this week's sermon in my schedule was, we were supposed to be moving on to Isaiah chapter 32, but the Lord would not allow me to leave Isaiah 30 and 31 this week, and uh, I'm not even sure that I have permission to leave it for the future. We may have to just see what God says, but um, we are not going to take the time this morning to read all of Isaiah 30 and 31. Let me give you a synopsis. And the synopsis is this. The nation of Judah, under the leadership of King Hezekiah, has sent down envoys to the nation of Egypt. They are trying to solicit an alliance with the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, so that his forces, his chariots, will come and defend Judah in the event. Of an invasion from the king of Assyria, God, as we looked at last last week, was very distressed, very upset, very angry. Was calling the nation of Judah, um, was calling the nation of Judah uh, obstinate children. If you look in verse one of chapter thirty-one. And not only did he call them obstinate children, but he said to them, Woe to you, you obstinate children. That's kind of a scary thing to have God say that to you. And then it goes on and on all through chapter 30, talking about God's concern, frustration, his offer of protection and care. And then it goes on into 31 And again, verse 1 of 31 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. And then, if you go down farther, there's this part in chapter 31, verses 4, to seven, that says this. This is what the Lord says to me. Now this is Isaiah talking. As a lion growls, a great lion over his prey, and though a whole band of shepherds is called together against him, he's not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor, so the Lord Almighty will come down to do battle on Mount Sinai, excuse me, on Mount Zion and on its heights. Like birds hovering overhead, the Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over it and will rescue it. Now, the image here I'm going to continue reading in just a second, but I want to give you an image. I can quickly and easily understand a lion not backing down. I can get that. So when God says, I'm going to be like a lion with its prey, and I'm being like, no, you're not going to mess with my stuff. And standing its ground in its territory, I can get that image right readily. But when it says that God is going to be like birds hovering overhead, shielding Jerusalem... I don't quite get that image. But then as I was meditating on it this week, the Lord reminded me that I used years ago, I was walking across this property. And I don't remember what year it was, but it was in the summertime. And I was mowing the lawn, or I was doing something where I was walking back and forth across the property. And there was this near my head. And it was like, what in the world was that? And it literally almost felt like it hit my head. They didn't quite hit my head. It was more like the, the wind hit my head. But it was like, what in the world? And it happened a number of times. And then I looked up, and there were all of these swallows. And what the deal was, there was a nest. And they these birds were all together together. Guarding the territory, keeping the predator, me, away from the little hatchlings or the net of eggs, whatever was there. I'm assuming they were already hatched. And that's, God said to me in my devotions, was that's what this is talking about. That I'm going to guard from the air like birds, providing an aerial protection over that which I'm concerned about and concerned in talking, obviously, here. It talks about shielding Jerusalem. So it says, verse 5, Like birds hovering overhead, the Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over it and will rescue it. I understand the word shield. I understand the word deliver. I understand the word rescue. I had to look up, read about, and meditate on the word Passover. Because in my Bible, I'm looking at an NIV, My Bible, it actually has the word Passover, or words Passover in quotes. How many of you guys in your Bibles, is that those words actually quoted? Okay, so some of you. And the reason for that is that it's, it's hard to interpret this word. The word is Pesach, or Pasach, depending on who you talk to. P-A-S-A-C-H or P-E-S-A-C-H. Pesach. Well, Pesach means Passover. That's the word that is used for the Jewish holiday, Passover. And if you look up in the Strong's the word Pesach, it literally (laughs) says Passover. I'm like, Uh, It doesn't help me. What is the understanding here? What is the meaning here? But as I was reading, I came across this amazing, amazing description of what this is. And so, to get an understanding of what this idea of God doing to protect the nation of of Judah, the people of Jerusalem... Like a lion defending its prey. I mean, like, yeah, defending its territory and its prey. Like birds hovering and providing a shield over. God delivering and rescuing um, and shielding and passing over. pesach if you will. It's a bad term. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12. It's a familiar story. You're all very familiar with it. But let's turn to Exodus chapter 12. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, so Genesis, then Exodus, and then chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month. The first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast, Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt. And strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when you see the blood, I, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will Pesach you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day hold a sacred assembly. And another one on the seventh day do no work on any of these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. This is all you may do. Celebrate the feast of unleavened bread because it is on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day into the evening of the 21st day. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses, and whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel, whether he is an alien or native born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised observe this ceremony, and then it continues on. It's a very familiar story. You're very, very familiar with what's going on. I mean, if you've seen Cecil B. DeMille's uh, image of it, there's this there's this kind of fog, this green fog coming through the streets, and as it comes along, it's tri- just going along the ground, and it's going to different households, and anybody that's in a house that doesn't have the blood, their firstborn dies, and then, you know, there's this the Hollywood thing is that they've got Joshua running through the streets ahead of the, the green fog trying to get to Moses' house. But finally he gets there and, you know, oh, everybody knows he's safe now and it's great and it's wonderful. But, I mean, it's, it's a very familiar story. God is passing over the Jewish people and decimating the, the Egyptians by killing the firstborn. And then it is such an important part of the heritage of the people of God, God tells Moses, one of the very first things you need to do is, number one, this marks your calendar as your first of your year. And, whenever this time rolls around every year, you have to take time to celebrate it. And how do you do that? You spend weeks in advance preparing for it, for eight days you celebrate it, and you don't do anything other than that, it said. You don't do any work, period, other than preparing the food to celebrate during this festival. And then after that, then you continue on with your world and your lives. This was a commemoration of one of the greatest acts of protection of God ever known to the people of God. And as I was reading the commentator talking about this and how this Passover, this Pesach celebration and this Pesach event... Interplays with what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah chapter uh, 31, verse 5, is the idea of the Passover itself. God said in Isaiah 31, verse 5, and 6, no, 5, excuse me. He will pass over it and will rescue it. This is the Lord Almighty who is shielding Jerusalem. And if you, <coughs> excuse me, if you look at verse twenty-three of Exodus chapter twelve, and if you have it open still, go back to it and look at it. Exodus chapter twelve, verse twenty-three. When I was reading this this week, I about fell out of my chair. I was crying. It was. I was weeping. This was so amazing. I have read this story, I don't know how many times, and this was one of those times when that particular verse just jumped off the page and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me go from it and I just chewed on it and chewed on it and I wasn't sure if it was for me alone or if I needed to share it with you guys, but as the week progressed, God very clearly told me this was for the whole congregation to hear. Isaiah Exodus chapter 12, verse 23. We just read it but let me read it now again. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and he will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. I can't tell you I've never heard or thought these thoughts before, but I can tell you that this is so fresh and new to me right now that I've been basking in it all week. This was not God destroying the firstborn of Egypt. God sent a messenger of death, an angel of death, and said, go kill all the firstborn that you find in the land. And then God didn't say to this angel, oh, and when you see, he didn't trust the angel by saying, oh, and when you see blood on the lintel and on the sides of the door, skip that place. See, that then puts the onus of the protection and the rescue on this angel of death to not make a mistake, to always Pass over Pesach, all of the nation of Israel. What God Himself did was He set loose the angel of death and said, Kill every firstborn as you travel through the land. And then, as the angel of death was approaching a house where God wanted to spare, God this is the other. This is the other definition of the word pesach, and I'm going to embarrass the daylights out of myself and hopefully not hurt myself. God, pesach jumped, leaped awkwardly, and stood his ground. One of the descriptions of pesaching is walking with a limp or a dead foot. And so you have to drag it forward and then stand your ground. And drag it forward and stand your ground. So this idea of pesach is it is an, an awkward, quick jumping and standing. And so if you read chapter 12, verse 23 with that understanding, it's not just a covering. It's not just a a word of protection. It's literally God himself jumping in front of the death angel and saying, you may not pass this location. Move on. And the angel of death moving on and then God jumping in front again and saying, and not here either. Move on. And God literally, as the angel of death is doing its job, killing all of the firstborn as ordered, God took the full responsibility to guarantee death did not occur to his own people. He jumped in front and became the shield and said, you may not pass here. These are under my protection. Do you see the difference? It was not... A passive, oh yeah, I gotcha. I got your back. You can trust me. It was literally I'm taking full responsibility for your protection by taking action myself. And I'm literally providing the shield so that no chance can an error be made. My will will not be thwarted. And as Isaiah says in chapter 12, 31, verse 5, like a lion standing its ground at its prey, like the birds flying and providing protection, I am not allowing any harm to come to my people. As chapter 91 of Psalm, verse 1, as I read to the kids, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. There's this powerful image of God Himself actively taking taking care of and protecting His people from against all harm, even death. There was a caveat though. On that horrible night, The Israelites could not leave their buildings. Because if they did, there was no guarantee of protection. God says, I will be your shield. I will be your source. I will be your refuge. But just like the chicks... Of the signet of the, of the swan, the chicks of the hen, and the little baby birds, whatever they're called, of those beautiful that beautiful paradise bird, unless they stayed under the protective covering, there was no guarantee that an enemy wasn't going to snatch them up. If you look in verse 30, chapter 30 of, of Isaiah, verse 15, it says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. See, God, at the beginning of chapter 30 and the beginning of chapter 31, declared a woe on his obstinate children. Why? Because they were in rebellion against him. They were not submitting to him. They were not trusting him and him alone. And he literally says to them in verse 15 of chapter 30, If you would just repent, turn back to me, and then stay there. Repent and rest You will find your salvation. If you will just be quiet and trust, instead of plotting and scheming and trying to come up with a plan that might work, you will find your strength. The story that we read in Isaiah chapter 30 and 31 is of a people who are supposed to be people of God. Who are supposedly declaring Him Lord of all. He is Jehovah Sabaoth. The Lord of all of creation. The Lord of all of heaven's armies. The Lord who has everything that I can trust in and depend on. And they have in their panic Formulated plans and other opportunities so that they can make sure that they've covered all of their bases so that they can make sure that they've got a good, we're being good stewards here. We're, we're, we're setting up alliances and we're making sure that we got a, and God literally says, you obstinate, woeful children, if you will just turn to me and rest in me and trust in me and be quiet. And let me do my work. That's why I was able to say to you this morning, we may not see all $9,000 show up in this one offering that's being taken. I'm not worried about it. We may not see it happen in the timeline that the board has set. And again, I'm not worried about it. God is in control. God is the Lord. God is my refuge. God is my strength. In Him will I trust. And I'm not getting out from underneath His wings for anything. This week for me, from the beginning all the way through till this morning, has been, I've got your back. Do you believe it? Then act like it. (laughs) What a glorious place to be. The God of all gods. The God of the universe. Telling me, do you trust me? Then let me do my work. Take your hands off of it. And watch what happens. And I encourage you to do the same thing. Whatever you're facing... Whatever's going on in your world, if you haven't been trusting Him completely and fully, 100% without question, then I encourage you to repent. Because that's what the Word of God says. Turn back to Him. Don't just yet say He's the Lord, make Him Lord by letting go. And walking back away from it and saying, Jack, it's yours. And if you haven't any need to repent, then continue in your steadfastness of your trust and your dependence on Him. And watch what He does. I want to close with this I have a little book that I use in my personal devotions. It's called, A Guide to Prayer for Ministers and Other Servants. And this was the daily invocation, and then the daily benediction. And what that means is, as I was opening my time with God, this was the prayer. And as I was closing my time with God each day this week, this was the prayer. I'm going to read you the invocation first, and then I'll read the benediction, and then we will close. Almighty God in whom I find life, health, and strength, and through whose mercy I am clothed and fed, grant unto me a thankful and faithful heart, in the name and spirit of Christ. Amen. And as I close my time each day, you have been in communion with your Lord. Go now in the strength of and assurance that the Lord Jesus Christ goes with you. Amen.